0: Looking at our world from a theological perspective. This is the Theology Central podcast, making theology central.
1: Good afternoon everyone. It is Monday, March the 21st, 2022. It is currently 2:40 p.m. Central Time and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas. Now, a couple of hours ago, I got a notification on my iPad and I opened it up. And the first thing I saw on the notification and the first thing I saw when it opened up were the words, Andy Stanley. I'm like, okay, so a news article about Andy Stanley. Clearly, this is probably going to be something controversial. What is going on? So I read these words. Andy Stanley's tweet about the Bible is seductive and harmful. And I'm like, oh, wow. So... So Andy Stanley sent out a tweet that a news article is saying is seductive and harmful. What is going on? So then I read these words. The recent now deleted tweet by Andy Stanley, son of famed pastor emeritus of First Baptist Church Atlanta reads, they give the tweet. I'm not going to tell you what the tweet says because it's been deleted. But this is what caught my attention. Stanley's tweet was taken from a sermon he preached on March the 6th at Brownsbridge Church in Cumming, Georgia. All right, so the tweet comes from a sermon. Now, as soon as I saw that, I had to roll my eyes, shake my head, let out a big, "Ah, here we go again, because this frustrates me to no end. This bothers me all day, every day. All right. So let's talk. We're 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 going to we're going to take this all apart. You're going to you're going to learn everything you want to know about this. So just stick around. But for now, I got you got to give me an opportunity to stand up on my soapbox to do a little bit of a rant here because it really does bother me. It is super popular right now on social media. For someone to find a one-minute, two-minute, three-minute clip of someone preaching, right? They take that clip, they post it on social media, and then everyone underneath that, that video clip will then start bashing. This is not preaching. This is garbage. This is embarrassing. Why don't they learn how to read the Bible? Why don't they take a class on hermeneutics? They need to learn theology. This is the most embarrassing thing I've ever seen. This person is a clown. This person, and just, it's attack, 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 attack. And it bothers me because everyone's attacking after hearing a one minute, two minute clip from someone's sermon. Well, in many cases, the sermon where that one- or two-minute clip is taken from is a 40-minute sermon, an hour-long sermon. How can you attack someone based off a one-minute or two-minute clip from someone's sermon? That, to me, seems completely disingenuous. It seems misleading. It seems problematic. Don't don't criticize someone's sermon until you've listened to the entire thing. The, the, The person preaching at least deserves that much respect, even if you completely disagree with their theology. Look, I don't care who you're criticizing. I don't care who you're criticizing. I don't care what theological background they come from. They deserve to actually be heard so that your criticism is based on what was actually said in the sermon, not just a one or two minute clip. Look, you can go find anyone who speaks publicly and grab a one minute, two minute, three minute soundbite, rip it out of its context and attack, 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 attack. But is that really the Christian way to do things? Is that the godly way to do things? Is that the biblical way to do things? I think we stop liking those posts, stop commenting on those posts, and just don't give those posts any time of day. In fact, whenever you see a clip, I don't care who it is. If they don't give you the name of the pastor, ask the person who posted it, who who is this pastor? Go find and listen to the sermon yourself. And then you can make a judgment about the sermon or just, but it, it just seems like we, we love this little, get a sound bite, and everybody reacts. And there's outrage today because of what someone, so, someone said, all right. This happens to Stephen Furtick from Elevation Church all the time. I don't agree with his theology. I don't agree with his hermeneutics. I don't agree with the way he handles scripture. I don't agree with the sermons, but he still deserves to be heard. If you're going to, if you're going to post something to critique The entire sermon needs to be considered. So my policy has always been, and I try to do this as much as possible, there have been a couple of occasions where we haven't been able to play maybe the whole sermon, but we still try to review 15, 20, 25 minutes so that we have as much context as possible. But typically, here's my policy. If if I'm going to critique, analyze, or say anything about a sermon, what I do is I grab the sermon. I don't listen to it first. We review the entire thing live on the air, every second of it, all right? And I don't listen to it first, so I react in real time. Now, this accomplishes a couple of things. Number one, nothing is taken out of context. Number two, you, the listener, you get to hear the entire sermon. Number three, uh, number three, you get to hear my critique of the sermon. And then number four, you're able to decide then, do you agree with the critique or do you agree with the sermon? Because you got to hear both. To me, that's only fair. So when, as soon as I saw that Andy Stanley, there's a, a there a tweet was taken from a sermon. This tweet is now being declared seductive and harmful. It immediately made me go, wait a minute. I don't I don't want to know anything about the tweet. I want to find the sermon. So I asked everyone in the Discord channel, hey, can you research uh, this for me? Because I wasn't able to do so at the time. Immediately, someone got back with me and go, here's the sermon from March the 6th from Brownsbridge Church in Cumming, Georgia. And I'm like, okay, great. Now, I'm not even going to read the rest of the news article. I'm not even going to read the rest of the news article because I want us to hear the sermon. I don't even want to read the tweet because I want us to hear the sermon in it's full context without any presuppositions going in, without our judgment already being clouded. And we can just listen to it together and determine whether it was good whether it was bad whether it was actually seductive and harmful now the um, let me see if i can find the link here to the actual church all right let me see here if i can uh if i can find it here um where is it it's here i'm going in the discord channel here we go brown's bridge church let's go to their website oh uh, well, this actually takes us to uh I heart radio but it says uh, this is what we have here Brownbridge Church can we get a uh, show more here we go Brownsbridge Church welcome to the weekly audio podcast for Brownsbridge Church and coming uh, Georgia where our mission is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ our desire is that this podcast will encourage you in your relationship with God visit us at brownsbridge.org brownsbridge.org. Now, someone in the Discord channel said that they've been to this church and they gave their their opinions and what they, what they witnessed and what they saw. I'm not going to say anything about that because then that could once again give you maybe a, a certain bias listening to the sermon. Let, I'm going to say this. Let's forget about Brownsbridge Church. Whatever that church does, whatever that church believes, let's just disregard that right now. All we care to hear is Andy Stanley... Preach a sermon, and the sermon is entitled um, Investigating Jesus Part 1. Investigating Jesus Part 1. See, i make sure. Yes, okay. Uh, it says, Investigating Jesus Part 1. Someone, somebody had to. It says, Christians are not expected to believe based solely. Okay, well, I'm not going to read that either. Okay, I'm not going to read that either because I think that will possibly give us a prejudice. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm not going to, as soon as I got ready to read that, I think I already know where this is going. I think I already know where this controversy is headed. I think I know where this is going. So I, I kind of already prejudiced myself. So bad on me. Okay. Bad on me. I shouldn't have done that. I should have just went right to the, to the uh, audio, but I'm going to try to set everything aside of what I just saw. And we're just going to listen to this together. We're going to go to Brownsbridge Church located in Georgia, This was preached on March the 6th, 2022. Andy Stanley, who's, I mean, I don't know where you've been if you haven't heard of him. I I cannot even count how many times over the year. Oh, I I subscribe to Andy Stanley's podcast and I listen to his sermons and his sermons are so awesome and his sermons are so great. Now, we have reviewed some of his sermons, but we're going to just, we're even going to leave that in the past. We're not I'm gonna I'm not gonna say anything about my critique of them in the past because we're just it's a, we're gonna just listen to the sermon that was preached on March the 6th and not bring anything in to bear on it and we're just going to try to judge it fairly and hopefully in a right and fair and a balanced way now here's what you can do if you're listening to me live feel free to add your thoughts and comments in the chat if you're on the discord channel you can post it there as well I'll try to check or you can email me, newsif at yahoo.com. I'll try to check the email as well. Um, and uh, and if you're not listening live, you can post comments on YouTube, or you can uh, you can email me at newsif at yahoo.com as well. All right? I think that's everything. Here we go. March 6th, Georgia. Andy Stanley. Obviously, this is not his church. I don't believe this is his church. So uh, he is visiting, and uh, he's the visiting speaker, the visiting preacher, and uh, he's going to preach this sermon, and uh, well, let's see where this goes. And and this is another thing. I think this is very important. This is a three part series. This is a three part series. I don't think that's his church. Because it? it looks like part one, part two, part three are all Andy Stanley. So I I, I don't know. I'd have to look and what's why is he there? I, maybe maybe we'll get some information about what's going on. I don't I don't want to. Maybe the news article will fill in some of that information, but I just want to make sure we understand that the sermon we're about to critique is a part of a larger series. So we need to keep that in mind as well. Because sometimes, and I do this all the time, I'll kind of maybe push for a certain way of thinking and a part of my sermon or in part of a series. I'll kind of like try to be leading people in one direction, knowing we're going to end up somewhere else because I'm trying to get people to to struggle with the concept. I'm trying to get them to try to figure it out. So I'm not saying that's what he did here in in this controversy, but I'm just saying that we may have to review more if we feel that it's necessary. But let's see what happens here, all right? Andy Stanley, Brownsbridge Church, Georgia. It's called Investigating Jesus Part One, Somebody Had To. Here we go. Oh, and a couple of things. The volume again is low. <laughs> I I don't get it. The volume is low. Um, you see here. Yeah. Okay. Right. That's what I saw. Uh, okay. That that's what I thought. Uh, someone just mentioned he is North Point Ministries. That's what I thought. Uh, this church used to be uh, the North Campus. There are eight in the Atlanta area under his ministry. So I'm. I, I so it sounds like Brown's Bridge Church. Used to be uh, the North Campus, maybe, so we'd have to look at all of their affiliation. Okay, so it may be affiliated with his ministries in some way, shape, or form, so that may make some sense here. All right, thank you for that, uh, because the person who just commented, I think, uh, lives in that area, so they have a better understanding of what's going on than I do. All right, but here we go, Andy Stanley. The volume's a little low. Whenever I come back in, I'll try not to blow your eardrums out, okay? But, But maybe you don't even have to turn it up, but here we go.
0: So um, here is what might be an uncomfortable question for some of us and um, an interesting and maybe even helpful and surprisingly honest question for others of us. When it comes to knowing if there is a God and if there is a God, what God is like, and when it comes to trying to figure out who God likes, does it really come down to the Bible tells us so? Or, any other religious literature tells us so I mean
1: okay this is an interesting question does it come down to the Bible told us so All right now, that, that that can make everyone a little bit uncomfortable when it comes down to basically our faith does it do we boil it down to the Bible said so does it really come down to that that's a okay. I, I, I'm i curious to see where he's going here. I'm curious to see where he's going here.
0: We're modern people, rational people. Are we really expected to believe what we believe or believe anything based on a collection of ancient manuscripts written by potentially dozens of men only um, who didn't even know each other over the course of hundreds and hundreds of of years in a world um, without science in the way that we think of modern science and um, in a world where everybody believed in the gods or some kind of God. I mean, let's just be honest, all right? Weren't they just making stuff up? I mean, weren't they just guessing? Weren't they just looking at the you know, weather patterns and trying to you know, make sense of something that just didn't make any sense in that time? And along with that, and maybe this is kind of intersects with your life, should we really be surprised that modern people, it seems more and more are kind of dismissing faith in general or deconstructing their faith, the terminology that we use now. We begin to ask really hard questions or what seem to be hard questions about faith and realize we don't really have answers. And it's not that we're sure that we're right, that religion is wrong, but because we're not sure that religion is right, we just kind of step back and it's like, I'm just... I'm not, I'm not sure about that anymore. I mean, should we be surprised more and more people are doing that? Or to make it personal, um, should we be surprised that perhaps that's where you are? Or are you surprised that that's where you are? That maybe-
1: okay, so he seems to be trying to at least speak to a culture that is skeptical, maybe questions the validity of the Bible, Maybe be deconstructing their faith, feeling that, that everything in the Bible is outdated and that it's, even its origins are, are, is questionable, and d- d- were they just making things up? Okay. He's speaking to other reality of the culture around us. There's no way to get around it. The culture around us is very skepti- skeptical, and they will they ask very difficult questions, and the church has to be willing to acknowledge that skepticism and be willing to meet them with those questions. So at this point, okay, he's asking some provocative questions. Hey, I mean, were they just making it up after all? I mean, do we really believe the Bible? Do, do we just reduce everything to the Bible tells me so? Do we, do we just reduce it to that? Uh, he's, he's speaking the language that many in the culture could relate to, All right. Now, the question is, where is he going? Where is he going? That, that's the question. Let's see.
0: Maybe you're in the process of walking away or you just have so many questions, you're starting to lean away or maybe you're listening or watching today and honestly, nobody in your family knows this yet, but you have your hand on the doorknob. I mean, you're about to step away and outside of faith and you're not sure how your family's gonna respond, your friends are gonna respond, maybe even your employer is gonna respond, but you're you're just kind of leaning that way. And if you know the, all there is to this is the Bible tells us so, then we shouldn't be surprised and you should be honest with yourself. I mean, if, if in fact the Christian faith balances precariously on the edge of ancient declarations of superstitious men, well then, why not? Why not? But as it turns out, and the reason we're talking about this, and maybe this is new, or maybe this is a reminder, or maybe it's just something you've heard before, but you need to hear it again. Or maybe it's the thing you've always believed, but you need some more terminology. The, the, the truth is, Christians are not expected to believe what we believe based on a collection of ancient manuscripts written by men who never met each other over the course of hundreds of years in a time when everybody was superstitious and everybody believed in the gods and there was no modern science.
1: Okay, here. Now, okay, he's not wasting any time. We're three minutes in and we're waiting. We're, we didn't just, we're not just waiting in. We just jumped into the deep end here. We've got some, some, issues. we've got some possible problems right here from the start. What does he mean by we're not expected to believe simply based on some ancient manuscripts written by people who didn't know each other uh, at a time where everyone believed in the gods? Is he he claiming that as a Christian, I'm not expected to believe in the things I believe based off the Bible? Is he saying that as a Christian, you're not expected to believe what you believe based off the Bible? Well, then if I'm not expected to believe what I believe based off the Bible, then please tell me what am I basing my belief on? What? I mean, please tell me. Uh, yeah, well, where where is the source of revelation? Where is the source of truth? So he's really calling into question. He keeps referring to the ancient manuscripts written by people, you know, who didn't know each other and you know di- didn't have the benefits of modern science. He's really going after like those ancient manuscripts may not be the best thing to trust. That seems to be where he is going. And you can see why maybe there's a news article written about this. This is This is kind of really leading me I don't know if he's just trying to create a sense of, you know, like, can we really trust the Bible? And then by the time he's going to come in with a dramatic conclusion, yes, it's the Bible and it's the Bible alone. Is that where he's going to go? Like, is he just kind of creating this uneasy feeling, like a, as a speaking technique to get everybody really like, oh, everyone's kind of moving up in the edge of their seat. Okay, wait, is he is he questioning the veracity of the Bible? Is, is he is he calling into question the Bible? And then he finally ends with not ending there, ending in a completely different spot. Is, is this, is this a, a, a clever speaking technique? Where is he going with this? That's what we'll have to see.
0: The foundation of our faith, and we talk about this a lot here, the foundation of our faith is far more substantial than that. It's far more sustainable than that. It's even, as we're going to discover, it's even investigable, investigable, which is actually a word. I don't like it. I I like the word investigatable. But as it turns out, that is not actually a word. And the people who keep me between the lines grammatically said, you can't use your word. You have to use the actual word. So this is it. So and the good news is the Christian faith is investigable, which means we are invited to kick the tires.
1: Okay. Now, I do believe Christianity... We have every right to investigate. We have every right to question. We have every right to challenge. I, I I welcome that. I think that that to anytime some churches, if someone has wants to investigate, they have questions, they have doubts, they're almost immediately viewed as not having faith, and they're almost just viewed as an outsider and a troublemaker. And I think that that is problematic. But I, I am concerned here because he seems to be absolutely he seems to be moving, not just in a questioning way, but in a dogmatic assertion that our faith is not just based on ancient manuscripts, that we have something more sure. Well, what do we have? Well, what is more sure than the word of God? Well, like what is this thing that we have that it can, can be investigated this thing that we can, we can look to and it's not, not ancient manuscripts. It's something more, more sure. This, this is the, I'm, I don't know where this is going, But it's got me on the edge of my seat. I'm really trying to figure this out. I'm really trying to figure this out. Let's see where this ends up. Here we go.
0: And you're invited to ask those hard questions. And as those of us who are Christians, we don't have to look the other way and shrug and go, I don't know, it's a mystery. You know, as soon as we start talking about faith, we just have to take it by faith, which when you say that, even when you think that there's something on the inside of you that says, you know what? That kind of works for me, but it's not working for my son-in-law and it's not working for my daughter and it's not working for the people at work and it's not working for the people who ask me those hard questions, but it's just, it's just what you got. It's what we were raised with. It's you know, basically what we were told. But the Christian faith does not rise and fall based on the accuracy or the inerrancy of 66 ancient documents that we call books of the Bible.
1: Okay. Christianity doesn't rise and fall on the accuracy of 66 ancient documents. The Christian faith doesn't rise and fall on the accuracy of 66 ancient documents or the inerrancy of 66 ancient documents. So you're... So the Christian faith, it doesn't rise and fall. In other words, the Christian faith, it doesn't matter how accurate the Bible is or inaccurate the Bible is. All right, um, it, doesn't, it, it, it doesn't matter how accurate the Bible is. Well, if it doesn't matter how accurate the Bible is, then what, what does our faith rise and fall on? Now, now, this, I want to, so I, remember what I like to do. When I disagree with someone, what I immediately try to do is stop myself from disagreeing and say, okay, I agree with you. Now, what's the logical conclusion? So let's, let's play along. Okay, Andy, you're right. Let's say Christianity, it does not rise and fall on the accuracy of the Bible. Whether the Bible is accurate, whether the Bible is not accurate, it doesn't matter. Christianity doesn't rise and fall upon it. Whether the Bible is inerrant, whether the Bible isn't inerrant, the Chris, Christianity doesn't rise and fall upon that. Let's say that is 100% true. All right, well, then what does Christianity rise and fall upon? Well, what is going to be the source that he's going to point us to going, that's what Christianity rises and falls upon. That, that, this is what Christianity hinges on right here. Well, what is it going to be? Someone just posted in the chat, I think it was in 2018, he came under fire for saying Christians need to unhitch the Old Testament from our faith. So I can't imagine he ends this sermon saying, yes, you can trust it all. That is a good point. I remember that controversy back in 2018. And everyone, it was, I mean, it was one of those controversies that lasted for, I don't know, 15 minutes. And then everyone moved on and, you know, it it didn't, it didn't really hurt his ministry in any way, shape or form. But uh, this, so we're, so we're going to play along. So we're going to play along. Andy Stanley has said that the Christianity does not rise and fall on the accuracy and the inerrancy of 66 ancient documents. Let's say he's right. So what does it rest? What what does it rest upon? What does it rise and fall on? What does it hinge on? What what is he going to point to? He's obviously going to point to something other than the Bible. What is it? All right. I'm going to back this audio up just a little bit. We're going to back this up. Here, Here we go. Here we go.
0: But the Christian faith does not rise and fall based on the accuracy or the inerrancy of 66 ancient documents that we call books of the Bible. It rises and falls on the identity of a single individual, Jesus of Nazareth.
1: Okay. (laughs) Okay. This is where the train just left the tracks. This is where the car just crashed into the tree. This is where the building just collapsed. This is where the house just caught on fire. Now I am completely confused. So Christianity does not rise and fall on the accuracy of the Bible or the inerrancy of Scripture the Bible can be completely inaccurate. doesn't have to be inerrant and, and, and Christianity is going to be okay because it rests and falls and hinges on the identity of a single person. And that is Jesus Christ. Well, let me just ask you, how do we know anything about Jesus Christ? If we can't trust the Bible, what sources are you turning to, to go, Oh, that those sources. And can you trust those other sources? Look, the thing with the Bible, we believe it's the in, inerrant word of God. It's accurate; it is true because it's the word of God. If I throw out the Scriptures, what do I have? Well, see, I'm gonna I'm gonna find some ancient documents that may mention Jesus here or there. Is, is that what I'm gonna? And I'm gonna build my entire theology of Jesus off that? Well, based off just if we throw out the Bible and we just go with some other ancient documents that may mention Jesus. Do we get the fact that Jesus is the eternal Son of God? Do we get the fact that he's deity? Do we get a fact of his uh, virgin birth, his incarnation, his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension to the right hand of the Father from which he will come again to judge the living and the dead? Do we have his substitutionary sacrifice upon the cross? If we throw out the Bible, what identity do we have for Jesus? This is so weird. You don't need the Bible. If you don't have the Bible, that's perfectly okay. If it's inaccurate, if it's not inerrant, that's wonderful. You everything hinges on Jesus. They say that sounds super spiritual, but from a logical standpoint, this is cuckoo for cocoa puffs. And 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 we're just four minutes into this. All right, so no wonder a news article got got wrote, uh, written about this. No no wonder there's one that got posted. No one no wonder no because this is, well, in their words seductive and harmful. I think this is both. I think this is both. And let me say this again. If you've been listening to our series on the book of Jude, right, where we really got into the introduction last night, I keep saying this. The greatest threat to Christianity is not that from outside. It is Christianity. Is, Christianity is the greatest threat to Christianity. Christianity is the greatest threat Because these are the kinds of things that the attacks come from within, not from without. Everyone's running around screaming about critical race theory and liberals and and this and that and COVID restrictions. And like, you know, this is all going to destroy the church. The church will destroy itself. Andy Stanley is very much in the church. Andy Stanley has very much been influential in the Christian world for a very long time. And now he's saying, hey... The Bible being accurate, uh, our, Christian, our Christian faith doesn't hinge on that. It, does, it doesn't rise and fall on that. The inerrancy of Scripture, it doesn't rise and fall on that. It's just the identity of Jesus. Now, I'm, now he's going to obviously have to spend the rest of the time building his case why the identity of Jesus is where everything rests, everything hinges on that, and how where is he going to turn to give us the identity of Jesus? Clearly, it can't be the Bible because he's already said it doesn't matter if the Bible's accurate or not accurate. That... that <laughs> he's creating a weird logical dilemma. I'm I'm gonna be interested to see how he works himself out of this. Here we go.
0: So if you're curious about faith and you're moving in the direction of faith, or you're curious about faith and you're returning to faith, or you find that you're kind of losing faith, or you're losing your interest in faith, here's the question that you should wrestle with. And the question to wrestle with is not, is there a God or is the Bible true? In fact, is there a God and is the Bible true? Those are generally off ramps to faith, not on ramps to faith. But here's the question. And it's, it's not a question that perhaps you've ever been invited to ask before. And and if you are a person, again, who grew up in church like I did, and you've sort of are losing it or you've lost it or you're not even interested anymore. In fact, the only reason you're watching today is because you're staying with friends and they're making you watch this or they sent this to you to say, hey, you should really watch this. You know, this is gonna help get you back. Here's the question that you've never been invited to ask. And it's not your fault at all. It's it's the church's fault. The The question to ask when it comes to is Christianity something even worth taking seriously or even worth considering? The question is this, is Matthew, Mark, Luke, or not and, or John, a reliable account of actual events? This is the issue, this is the question when it comes to Christianity. Is Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, any one of the four, a reliable account of actual events? Because if any one of these four is an actual account, a reliable account of actual events, then what they say about Jesus of Nazareth is true. And if what they say about Jesus of Nazareth is true, game on.
1: Okay, I'm a little confused here. So Christianity doesn't rise and fall on the accuracy of the Bible or the inerrancy of the Bible. However, if Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John is accurate, then game on. If what they say about Jesus is accurate, well, I'm so confused here. So I guess, is he saying we don't need all 66 books? We just need either Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. We just need one of them to be accurate. And if that is accurate, then then game on. Okay, well, then how are you going to determine which one is accurate? And if the rest of them aren't accurate, wouldn't that lead to great doubt about Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John? It's really weird. He He's kind of downplayed the necessity of an inerrant Bible an accurate Bible, but then he's turned right back around and now walked us into. But we need an accurate account of Jesus, and that's either going to be Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. So I don't need an inerrant Bible. I just need an accurate Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. <laughs> that that is this is okay. I, I'm 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 almost laughing at this point because this is really becoming uh, a mess. Let, let let's see if he can work himself out of this
0: on, you should press on. You should lean in. For those of you who are Jesus followers, your faith is not in vain. Now, the reason that this is so confusing for so many of us is the way that the Bible was first introduced to us. And so to help you understand that, I need a timeline, but I can't draw. So anyway, so I asked my friend, Joel Thomas, if he would come and draw one for me for those of you who don't know joel he's the lead pastor at buckhead church and he's really good at this and um i try not to hate him for it but anyway um and just to make sure that i didn't take credit for his work look he actually initialed the chalkboard so everybody actually i asked him to do this okay so this is super important okay here is an
1: okay i don't know what it looks like because i haven't seen the video I've only seen the audio, so you may want to go find the video and see why everyone's laughing. It looks like a chalkboard. Maybe they're laughing because it's a chalkboard instead of on the—I'm on the, I'm assuming the church has big screens. Maybe that's why they're laughing. I don't know. All right, but he's going to give a timeline. Now, this is interesting because it looks like this is going to be a timeline, I'm assuming, related to possibly— the formation of the of the New Testament Canon now this could get into some interesting church history here it'll be interesting do we do we hear of the 51 Bibles of Constantine do we hear of uh, uh, Athanasius festal festal letter do, I I'm, I'm interested where, where this is going to go uh, are, are what well, we'll just see where it goes here we go
0: if you don't hear anything else today, okay, remember, if you need something on a chalkboard, Joel Tom, no. If you don't hear, hear anything else today, this is the story of the Christian faith in a nutshell, okay? There was an event, we talk about this, the resurrection of Jesus, and immediately following the resurrection of Jesus, there was a new movement. It was called a Nazarene sect.
1: Okay, now stop right here. Now, he's just stated as a dogmatic fact that Jesus resurrected he just stated it as a dogmatic fact. Jesus resurrected. Now, would we not base that dogmatic assertion on the testimony of the record found in the New Testament? So we would we not, so whatever we read about the resurrection, that would have to be accurate. That would have to be inerrant. So this is really weird. He's kind of making, your faith does not rest and fall on the inerrancy of the Bible and the accuracy of the Bible. And then he starts his timeline with the resurrection of Jesus. It actually happened. Based off what? What are you basing it off of? What, What are you basing that off of? I'm assuming you're basing it off the New Testament account. Therefore, that account, at least that those verses have to be inerrant and accurate, or you cannot trust that. It seems like he's called he's he's called into question the very source that he's now turning on, turning to to rely on to build his case. Which is really, I'm going to undermine the source that I'm going to turn around and use to try to tell you where your Christian faith rests and falls. This is really, 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 really. I I, I think this have maybe. I don't even know. All right, let's just see where he goes. I'm interested in this timeline.
0: It was called the way. Um, It was the ecclesia or the gathering of Jesus that eventually was called the church. And immediately upon these events happening, people who were involved in the story actually documented the events for us. This is where we get the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the book of Acts. And all of this happened in the first century. In fact, all of this, it could be argued, I, I would argue persuasively that all of this happened before 70 AD, before the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. So, within 35 years, or 40, if you stretch it, from the time of Jesus, something happened. It started a movement, and the movement was documented, you know, as in written down, documented by the people who were part of the movement.
1: Okay, now wait a minute. So, it was written down in ancient documents. And if I'm going to, and I have to trust those ancient documents, if I have any idea of what occurred. So that means if I'm going, I I need these documents to be accurate, and I would go with being inerrant, right? I mean, this makes no sense to me, right? Like, why, why did he call it into question, and now he's turning right back around, and he's making it, not only is he making an argument for the accuracy of these documents, he's making an argument for an early dating of said documents, that they were all written before 70 AD. He's even making, he's making a conservative argument for a conservative understanding of an early dating of the writing of all the Gospels, and he's clearly making an argument that they are accurate and trustworthy. So that, and if you're, if you're building this as your source, then my Christian faith rests and falls on the accuracy and inerrancy of these documents. I don't, this makes no sense. All right, let's continue.
0: And then 300 plus years later, the first Bible was assembled. Now the reason, and we'll talk more about this in just a minute. The reason this is important is this, the story of Jesus is not a Bible story. The story of Jesus or the narrative or the the life of Jesus is why there is a Bible. Jesus is the reason for the Bible. So when we were growing up, somebody gave us the Bible and there's all of story about David and Goliath. Oh, that's so cool. And then a story about a Red Sea, that's so cool. And then you get to the parts about Jesus. And I'm not even not sure I understand that, but the miracles, you know, that's so cool. And and before we know it, the, the story of Jesus is a Bible story. It's a story in the Bible. You need to understand if there had been no resurrection... There would have been no church. And if there was no church, there was nobody to document the story of the resurrection because the resurrection never happened. Apart from the resurrection of Jesus, there is no Bible. And as we're gonna see, the Bible only became a collection of these extraordinary ancient documents because of what happened in the church in the 300 years following the first century. So, if even one of if even one of the gospels or the accounts of Jesus' life is true, then you need to lean in. Okay, enough of that. He's making me jealous. All right, here we go. Take that. So so here's here, here, here's the point. Here's what we're gonna do.
1: Okay, well, he didn't really go into much of a timeline. Uh, When he says the first Bible, I'm assuming he's referring to the 50 Bibles of Constantine, which were Bibles in the original Greek language commissioned in 331 by Constantine and prepared by Eusebius of Caesarea. They were made for the use of the Bishop of Constantinople and the growing number of churches in the uh, in that very new city. Eusebius quoted a letter of commission and his life of Constantine, and it is the only surviving source from which we know of the existence of the Bibles. that We, we talked about that in our introduction to Jude. So, um, it's, it's kind of really... I, I I don't really know exactly. I'm trying to follow his logic here. Okay, so our, our, my Christianity doesn't rest and fall on the accuracy and errancy of Scripture, but I need this these scriptural accounts or, 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 or I guess I just need one. I just need one of the things to be accurate about Jesus. That doesn't. Even, I just need one thing in the Gospels to be accurate, and then I need to lean in. No, I would need them all to be accurate because if only one is accurate. Well, how would I know the one is accurate if all the others are questionable, right? If, in other words, if I have a book and 87 things are questionable, not accurate, not trustworthy, not true, but one thing is I'm going to have a hard time believing the one thing because I got all the everything, everything around me. That's not accurate. Not true. It's made up. It's, it's got mythology mixed in with it. It's got some truth. It's, it's, it's just a mess. I, I don't know why you would sit there and try to figure, well, which part is true and which part is not true. And who's going to determine which part is true and what part is not true. What system of, of argument are you going to use for that? So I'm having, I don't really know. Like, this is like, Hey, we want Jesus, but we don't need the Bible, but we need the Bible, but we don't need all the Bible. We just need some of the Bible. I I don't really understand. I'm having a hard time following this. All right, here we go.
0: For the next few weeks, we're going to explore one of those accounts of the life of Jesus. We're going to explore the gospel of Luke. It was named for its author Luke Luke was not one of Jesus' disciples, but as we're gonna discover, he knew Jesus' disciples and had conversations with Jesus' disciples and James, the brother of Jesus. And the reason I introduced the whole series and the message the way I did is because when we open the gospel of Luke, this is kind of how Luke introduces his audience to the life in this account. Of Jesus. Now, we don't know how many times Luke wrote and rewrote the introduction to his, li- his account of the life of Jesus, but some of you are writers and I'm a writer. And when you're writing something important, that first line is so important, isn't it? And sometimes the first word, you want people to read that first line and be hooked or that first line and just be hooked. And I think in, in Luke's case, like many of us who write, He wrote and rewrote and wrote and rewrote the first line of his account of the life of Jesus over and over and over. In fact, it's so good that the very first word has historical relevance and it's so easily passed over because it's a common word and it's at the very beginning of a sentence and you tend to just go right by it. So as we begin the exploration of this incredible first century document, the gospel of Luke, it's written by somebody who who interviewed eyewitnesses, we're going to discover. Here is how Luke, he's a doctor apparently, here's how Dr. Luke, who is meticulous in terms of detail, here's how he began. So here is the first chapter, the first verse.
1: Is anyone kind of just like, are you sitting there confused? Are you, are you are you kind of baffled by this? Hey, your Christianity is not dependent on the accuracy or inerrancy of the Bible. It's it's all based on a person, it's Jesus. All right, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to study, well, one of those ancient documents. <laughs> And guess what? If you're studying the ancient document, I I can almost guarantee the assumption is that what is being said is accurate, because he's already said that Luke was very careful and meticulous about details. All right, so you're you're already making an argument that Luke was careful and that his details are accurate. So you're making an argument that one of these ancient documents is accurate. (laughs) So are you making an argument Luke is accurate, but the rest of the Bible isn't? And so that we should just take Luke out out of the Bible and say, here's the trustworthy document, the rest of that stuff about the the parting of the Red Sea and the plagues and creation and David killing the giant with a slingshot and, 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 you know, a global flood. We can't trust any of that. We can't, but we can trust Luke. We can try. Now, then my question would be well, how many times in Luke are some of those th- stories of the Old Testament at least alluded to or referenced? And if they are, then uh, is Luke accurate in referencing those stories as being true? I mean, we, we, we could go all day on this, but I'm just a little baffled. Hey, your Christianity is, does not rest on the accuracy and inerrancy of 66 ancient uh, manuscripts. For the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at one of those ancient documents known as Luke, and he was very meticulous in his detail, and he was very, you know, meticulous, and, and basically the uh, the idea here that's being applied, he was accurate. I am so perplexed here that I'm having, <laughs> but see, this is why we wanted to listen to the, the sermon, see? I didn't want to just take the news article, because the news article, I'll just go back to the news article just to show you. How the news article handles this. The news article, or headline, this is published today. Andy Stanley's tweet about the Bible is seductive and harmful. The the recent now-deleted tweet by Andy Stanley, son of famed pastor emeritus of the First Baptist Church, Atlanta, and his father is Charles Stanley. And, And then they have this in quotes. This is the tweet. The Christian faith doesn't rise and fall on the accuracy of 66 ancient documents. It rises and falls on the identity of a single individual, Jesus of Nazareth. Stanley's tweet was taken from a sermon he preached on March the 6th at Brownsbridge Church in Cumming, Georgia. When, When first reading the tweet on social media, I was saddened and sickened this kind of statement was all too familiar to me. I had often heard it made by the moderates and liberals who were in control of the Southern Baptist Convention back in the 1980s. I had to defend the faith against this kind of approach to Scripture and the Baptist associations which I served, a time when my support for the Bible as divine and totally without error was in the minority and marginalized. This kind of doctrinal error is what conservatives worked and sacrificed to save the Southern Baptist Convention from and succeeded. Moreover, our other denominations that embrace what Stanley was teaching ended up on the trash heap of spiritual impotence and blatant apostasy. Now, what's interesting? Is it doesn't appear, and I'm not. I haven't read the whole article here, but it because it goes f- further down, and I don't want to stop. We'll try to circle back to the article if we can. If you go to the Christian Post, you'll find the article. Those in the Discord channel, I will post it. So we'll have to go through the entire article to verify this. But he, the the author, just it seems to be reacting to the tweet. I don't know if the author actually went and listened to the sermon. Is it possible? And I'm just, I'm just, I'm just. I try to, I try to be fair here, right? I want to, I, I'm just, I'm trying to think like a preacher. I'm trying to think like a preacher here, okay? So, sometimes when I'm getting ready to preach a sermon, I sometimes, now not, not always, sometimes I really think about the intro, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I'm just like, hey, grab your Bibles, we're going to jump in. Sometimes I really want a, a good intro, and sometimes you can try to be too clever for your own good you're trying to come up with that just super powerful introduction that will get everyone's attention and just you know bring them to the edge of their seat and and that can create a lot of pressure week after week after week trying to have this great intro and sometimes i think that that can lead to some major problems because it almost becomes a performance that you've got to you've got to do this i think sometimes you can just say open your bibles let's jump in and not worry about that i understand that in, if you go to a speech class that introduction is so important. But it's a lot of pressure, especially if you preach and teach week after week, hour after hour after hour after hour. You, you can you can burn yourself out really fast trying to do that. Is it possible, though, that he's trying to come up with this great, clever intro and he's just trying to be too clever? He's trying to speak the language of those who are deconstructing. He's trying to speak the language of those who are doubting. And he he he's so trying to be relatable to them, that he kind of walked himself into this this quote that he really is going to just throw out in just a few seconds. I mean, literally, in just a few minutes after he makes this quote that the Christian faith doesn't rise and fall on the accuracy of the of, of, of 66 ancient documents, he immediately turns around and says, open up your Bibles basically to the Gospel of Luke, because for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be studying this ancient document, and w- which is implied is accurate. It's almost like he wants, to, he wants to say this. Okay, guys, the Christian faith to be true doesn't require that all 66 books are true in theory. It just requires that certain information about Jesus is true. And once we can prove that, then we can walk backwards and prove that the rest of it is. Is, is that kind of the way he's trying to argue? Like, hey, look, let's throw, let, for argument's sake, let's throw out 65 books. Let's just go to Luke. And if we can prove Luke is true, well, then you still need to believe in Jesus. And then we can worry about the other 65. Is he trying to use that kind of an argument? Hey, okay, for argument's sake, 65 books of the Bible, not accurate. But if Luke is, and if Luke is true, then don't deconstruct and walk away from the faith. Lean into the faith. Believe on Jesus. We can worry about those other 65 later. Is it possible that he's trying to do that, but he's just doing it in a very haphazard, sloppy way? You can tell me what you think. You can tell me whether you agree with that or disagree with that. Let's go back to the sermon. Uh, But it's just interesting. It seems like the author here, he just, he got very upset about the tweet. And I don't know if he took time to stop and go listen to the whole sermon. Now, maybe he did. I'll have to read the whole article here in a minute. But he, he just immediately like he doesn't he doesn't even mention anything else at that point of what Andy Stanley says later in the sermon he just immediately goes boom here's the tweet. Now I'm not saying that this opening is a great idea. I just think that maybe he's trying to be too clever here and he could have said it in a different way. Hey guys, what if I was to tell you that that your faith doesn't require that the entire bible be true. It only requires one book to be true. What, what, what I mean that that would be provocative But I I can understand what he's trying to do if if he said it that way. The way he said it creates this weird logical disconnect and the way he's progressing. But let's see where he goes because we're already at 50 minutes. Here we go.
0: And the first word of the gospel of Luke, he writes, many, many. Now, how many is many? Four? Is four many? Four doesn't seem like many. 40, well, it depends on what we're talking about, right? Listen to how he begins his gospel. This isn't once upon a time. This isn't a fairy tale. This isn't something he made up. This is certainly not how you begin a lie. He says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. He says, now what I'm about to tell you, I'm not the first person to try to get this out right. Many people have endeavored to draw up an account of the things that have literally happened or been fulfilled right here among us. Quick question, don't answer this out loud. Do you know how many will undertake to draw up an account of your life?
1: Okay, now, he's throwing in a practical, a practical application, but I just want you to hear, this is not something he made up, this is not once upon a time, he's clearly arguing for the absolute accuracy of what Luke is saying, he's absolutely arguing that Luke is accurate and that this is inerrant and trustworthy, he, he's making that argument. So I, I think maybe Andy Stanley would try to be too clever here. I think he tried to be too clever here and he created, he's created maybe an unnecessary controversy. And I don't know. Andy Stanley may not believe the rest of the Bible is inerrant. I, I do agree that in 2018, he almost basically threw out the old Testament. We, we understand that. Um, but, and he's made some, some, some statements about the virgin birth as well that, that are problematic. So I, I'm not saying that I, listen, I'm not saying I agree with everything Andy Stanley, because I'm going to get 900 emails, people griping at me. You're defending Andy Stanley. No, I'm just trying to be fair with Andy Stanley. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm not going to, I'm not going to take a tweet and go after someone. We got We got to listen to everything he has to say. I would want people to listen to everything I have to say. I I want people to fairly represent me. Okay. The good, the bad, and the ugly right? So maybe, and I'm just trying to understand his thinking. I can, I can see that he's trying to be, to me, it feels like he's trying to be clever. Hey, for many of you, you've got your hand on the doorknob. You're about to walk away from the faith. You're, you're deconstructing. You're about to give up and you don't know what, how your family's going to react. You don't know how your boss is going to react. Hey, 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 just listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. What if I was to tell you that your faith doesn't hinge on the accuracy of all 66 books? What if I was to tell you, we just need to find one accurate account of the life of Jesus, and that would be sufficient for your faith? Now, see, if I state it that way, it's still somewhat provocative, but it's not as controversial. You're not saying that the other 65 aren't accurate or inerrant. You're just saying that if I can just give you one... That should be sufficient to keep you in the faith. That should be that should be sufficient to keep you from deconstructing and walking out that door. And then you can lean in, and then we can talk about the other sixty five. See, that would be that that would be kind of an apologetic approach. I, I, I look, I'm giving him, I'm trying to give him the the benefit of the doubt as much as possible. I, I'm not saying that what he that this was, you know, this is probably something he should have really thought about in, in this opening introduction. And clearly. They deleted the tweet because clearly the tweet was going to be misconstrued and misunderstood. Clearly. I mean, that's why, you know, using Twitter for any theological discussion is probably the worst concept in the history of mankind because you can't deal with deep theological, you know, subjects in 180 characters or however many characters they allow today. You can't you can't do that. So that's already a bad place to even try to have this discussion. All right, But I'm trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. Let's see. Well, let's see how far we can get in this. Here we go.
0: Not. Not many. That's how many, okay? The only people that are gonna even know you existed or know I existed after our grandkids are not many, unless you do something extraordinarily great or extraordinarily horrible, okay? But not many people are gonna write up an account of our life. And Luke tells us, he's like, hey, I'm starting this thing out, but you need to know I'm not the only one doing this. Many people have endeavored to get this down in such a way that people can understand and experience through what's written, what has happened right now. Here, now listen, check it out. There are not many, not many people even undertook to draw up the accounts of the lives of famous people from ancient times. All
1: right, I think we just had some technical difficulties there. I don't know if we're still live on the air. Okay, give me one second. I think we lost connection. Um, I'm going to wait and see. If if you can hear me, we're currently live on the air. Let me know. Because we've gone almost an hour. This would be really sad if we've lost everything. All right. Um we're 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 gonna we're 13 minutes into the sermon. I hope we didn't lose everything. Let me see here. I'm gonna back it up all the way to there. All right. That is weird. Something was happening. Okay. Yeah, uh, like a minute or two, all right, 20 seconds maybe. All right, so we did lose a couple of things. All right, I'm gonna back up just a little bit, back up just a little bit. I apologize if we lost anything. Here we go. I'm gonna back it up and pick and take it up right here and try to at least get us all caught up. Here we go.
0: The accounts of the lives of famous people from ancient times, or, or especially the first century. I mean, Tiberius Caesar, who was you know Caesar during the life of Jesus, we, there's not a storyline. You have to piece it together. Um, see, Pilate, there's virtually nothing. Even Herod the Great, who, um, you know, Josephus gives us a storyline and, you know, almost a moment by moment account of the life of Herod the Great. But other than Josephus, that's it. And Herod the Great did extraordinary things. But there's just one. But here, here's a question Do you know how many detailed narrative accounts we have of the lives of ancient peasants, crucified criminals, even famous first century rabbis? None, none. We have quotes, we have legendary stories, but I'm just telling you, this is why you gotta sit up and pay attention. There is nothing even close to close to close to what we find in Luke's presentation of the life of Jesus. But that should cause us to ask a question. Why in the world would Luke bother? I mean, he's a busy guy, lots going on, okay? I mean, food is scarce. This is the first century. Why in the world would he bother to bring us a detailed account of a Galilean day laborer turned rabbi that was executed by Rome, who was again, rejected by his own people and rejected by the empire. Why even tell us the story? Why is that even a story worth telling? And why would others try to tell us that story as well? Going back to the first word of his gospel, why so many? Why some why would one even tell us this story? Why would there be four? Why would there be many? And the answer is simple: because something extraordinary happened. Something that had implications for future generations. But it wasn't just extraordinary. Something good had happened. Something
1: all right now. Just because we possibly lost a couple of seconds, let me try to, once again, give Andy Stanley the benefit of the doubt. Clearly, he's making an argument that Luke can be trusted. Luke's story uh, account is trustworthy. Obviously, it would have to be accurate, and you would have to argue that would be inerrant. Clearly, he's making that argument. I think what he tried to do in his introduction which has created all the controversy is I think he tried to be a little too clever. I'm trying to giving I'm trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. I cannot say this for sure, but I'm trying to give him the benefit of the doubt because sometimes as preachers we want to come up with those clever clever introductions to get everyone's attention. So he starts off by trying to use the language of people who are questioning their faith, people who are deconstructing, people as he stated has their they their hand on the on the door handle ready to walk away from the faith. And what he wants to say is, hey guys, hey guys, hey guys, this is what I think he's trying to say. He doesn't say it this way, but this is what I think he's trying to say. Hey guys, what if, what if your faith wasn't dependent on the accuracy and the inerrancy of 66 books? What if I was to tell you that all you really need is the accuracy the inerrancy of one account of Jesus, and if we get that, don't walk out that door, turn around, lean in, don't depart from the faith, don't deconstruct from the faith, believe in Jesus, hold on to Jesus, and then from there, we could back up and then try to talk about the other 65 books. What if it all requires is one book, one accurate account, and that accurate account is Luke. That's his argument. That's his thesis. Now, he does a really bad job because he makes it sound like we don't, we don't need any book. He makes it sound like we don't need, because he says 66. We don't, you know, your Christian faith doesn't depend on the accuracy of all 66 books. That's what he says, but then he turns around and demonstrates that's not what he means because he's pointing to one of those 66 books. So clearly he believes that we need at least one of them to be accurate. So I think that he was trying to be clever in his introduction, which is clearly misleading and clearly problematic. I'm not excusing it. I'm just trying to understand what he is doing here. Now we're in an hour, so we're going to have to stop. I'm going to go back to the news article really quick. I'm going to go back to the news article just to show you how the news article handled this. And and I want to demonstrate, I want to end with this. Whenever there is a news article or a tweet or a 2 minute 3 minute clip of a preacher no matter how much you may not like that preacher no matter how much you hate that theology go listen to the sermon for yourself always li- give whoever it is the benefit of the doubt of listening to everything they have to say so let me read the article again all right the recent now delayed a tweet the recent now-deleted tweet by Andy Stanley, son of famed pastor emeritus of First Baptist Church, reads, The Christian faith doesn't rise and fall on the accuracy of 66 ancient documents. It rises and falls on the identity of a single individual, Jesus of Nazareth. Stanley's tweet was taken from a sermon he preached on March the 6th at Browns Bridge Church in Cumming, Georgia. When I, when first reading the tweet on social media, I was saddened and sickened. Now, please note, he doesn't say, I immediately, I immediately went uh, to... The, 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 the sermon and listen to the sermon. This, the author doesn't identify, identify, at least at this point, or indicate at this point that he went and listened to the sermon. He then criticizes the statement. This kind of statement was all too familiar to me. I'd often heard it made by the moderates and liberals who were in control of the Southern Baptist Convention back in the 80s. I had defended the faith against this kind of approach to the scriptures and the Baptist associations where I had served. A time when my support for the Bible as divine and totally without error was in the minority and marginalized. This kind of doctrinal error is what conservatives worked and sacrificed to save the Southern Baptist Convention from and succeeded. Moreover, other denominations that embrace what Stanley was teaching ended up on the trash heap of spiritual impotency impotency, and blatant apostasy. It was, therefore, quite painful for me to hear a prominent preacher with the considerable influence of Stanley, one who has affirmed his own belief in inerrancy, declare something so contrary to that affirmation. Now, again, was he trying to declare something different to that affirmation or was he just trying to be clever? Hey guys, we don't need all 66 to be accurate. We just need one. Now he could have stated it differently. Is that what he was trying to do? I don't know. I'm just trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. Unfortunately, Stanley's view of the Bible is not uncommon today. In many seminaries and various mainline denominations, there was once faith that was once faithful. Let um, me state this again. Unfortunately, Stanley's view of the Bible is not uncommon today in many seminaries and various mainline denominations that were once faithful. It holds if one argues for the highest view of Scripture as the church did in the past, then one is in danger of a form of idolatry, elevating the Bible above Jesus, therefore, guilty of the sin of Bible worship. In other words, you can make the Bible even more important than Jesus, you can give the Bible a prominence the Lord Himself didn't give. All right, then he goes on, um, and I'm looking down here. I'm looking here. Yeah, no, he never, he didn't go listen to the sermon. He never indicates that he went and listened to the sermon. So if you read that article, you just think, well, man. Andy Stanley preached a sermon that completely denied the inerrancy and, and, and accuracy of the Bible. He just—he basically just threw out the Bible. Well, that's not an accurate representation of what Andy Stanley did. Andy Stanley, I think, was trying to be too clever, but clearly he's arguing for the inerrancy and accuracy of Luke, and he's going to use what we learn in Luke to prove that you can believe in Jesus and that your faith can rest in Jesus because we have an accurate, inerrant account of Jesus. That's what he's trying to do. He did it in a sloppy way, but I think I don't think there's any other way or any other conclusion that one can come to um, uh, based off what we have heard so far. So I'm going to stop there because we're in an hour and seven minutes, and we had a little bit of technical glitch. I got to go back through the audio and see. Hopefully, the recording is not so messed up. Ah. Um, uh. If it's messed up, I'm going to have to try to find a way to edit the audio, and I am so I'm so bad at that. I used to have uh, this software called Propaganda, which was, was the greatest software in the history of mankind for uh, editing. Like you could just easily just cut something out. Uh, Audacity is what everyone says to use, but it's so convoluted to me. But um, if I have to, I'm going to try to go edit that real quick and then upload the audio again. Um, to those who are listening on Church One or uh, uh, Sermons 2.0, um, I'm gonna try to upload the the thing as soon as possible so that you have the whole thing. Hopefully, uh, anything you missed, I went back and repeated so that we're all on the same page um, because this is important. this is this is important because one, it just demonstrates again, why I hate this ripping sermons out of context. I hate it. Review the whole sermon. If you're going to write an article about a tweet that and you and, and clearly you know what sermon it came from, go find the sermon and listen to it. Now, can we criticize Andy Stanley's kind of sloppy introduction? Yes, we can. Can we kind of, kind of, in a way, criticize that maybe he's kind of got a logical inconsistency kind of building here? Yes, we can. But we can also step back. I go, well, he's clearly arguing for the accuracy and inerrancy of Luke. Wherever, whatever else he's, he's, he's throwing out, we, we, we can, well, we'll, 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 we'll have to try to put it all together. All right. Uh, we have 19 minutes left of his sermon. So we'll, we'll try to come back and, uh, we'll try to come back and, and do that as soon as we can. All right. So there we go. I'm waiting to see if there's any other comments or anybody has any other questions. Um, yeah, that just bothers me about the news article now. It bothers me about the news article. But see, that's why I did this. That's why as soon as I saw the news article, I'm like, I've got to review the whole sermon. It's only it's only fair. It's only fair. It's only fair to do that. And, and you watch a lot of people on social media will just be going to crazy about the tweet. And, and very few will go listen to the entire sermon. I'm not saying that everything has been great so far in 14 minutes. We're right at the 15-minute mark of the sermon. I'm not saying it's all been perfect. I, there's clearly some things that can be criticized, um, but I think I, I, think I, I think I understand what he's trying to do. Just think that there's a better way to do it. All right, I'll stop right there. You can uh, contact me at newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. I'm going to go check the audio and see how bad it got messed up. All right, I'll stop right there. Everyone, have a great day, and uh, I'll possibly be back on the air some point this afternoon or this evening. All right, God bless.